We have been looking at what it is to live graciously. We started out by looking into the gospel, rather the first letter of John, the apostle. And listen to what John said about the fact that we have been made children of God, and therefore we now need to love as God loves. We need to love God himself. We need to love one another. And so we have been looking into that. We've been asking, what does, what does it mean really to live graciously? And we've been looking at the particulars as how that's been unfolded by the Apostle Paul, especially in Ephesians chapter 4. And that's where we are presently. Because it's really helpful to have an example of somebody who says, well, here's, you know, I, I, want you to change, uh, I want you to change the oil filter on the car. And, and you've never really quite done a change of an oil filter. It'd be nice to have some instructions as to what you do first, what you do second, and so on and so forth. Well, it's almost like that. But it's really about living life. Living life in a tangible way that shows the love that we have received from God and the love that we may give to one another. And so we've been looking at that in Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 17 through 32. The apostle has been talking about things such as um, speaking the truth in love, being, uh, not being not letting our anger get out of control, um, working so that we may be generous, doing honest work with our own hands so that we have something to share, watching our tongues so that we are not using corrupt language, that we're not speaking in ways that are degrading or corroding to other people. Um, and then we now come into the last part of dealing with anger, hurt, bitterness, wrath. That is, learning how to be kind and forgiving. I'm going to be reading Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32, even though we'll be looking only at the last three verses in this section. Please remain seated as I read. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, Having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands 
so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Lord, how we thank you for what you reveal to us. Open our minds that we may understand it. Open our hearts that we may receive it. For how many people do we know who hear what you say and close their hearts to what you say? Open our hearts, Lord, and then enable us, move in us in such a way that we would work to practice these things and to be bringing glory to you. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As I said, these are practical things on how we can actually live out a Christian life. And if we reflect upon them, they're the sorts of things that are common to us all. And uh, we, we can see that God intends for us as his children to act like his children, putting on this new life. Uh, the way in which Paul is describing it is taking off a pair of dirty overalls and throwing them away, and then putting on new clothes, a new robe, a clean robe of righteousness, which is the righteousness of Christ. Speaking truth, not letting anger control you, working hard to be generous, using your tongue and your speech for, for ways of blessing people. Those are, those are desirable characteristics. I mean, when we, when we find someone who's living these kinds of things out, we appreciate being around them. We want to be that kind of a people so that we may bring glory to our Heavenly Father. Now, I, I would caution us as we go through this, maybe again, and that is, do not hear this as, a, as something to where you say, I need to change myself. Don't hear it that way. Because it would be really easy to fall into an old practice of assuming that God's going to like you better if you just do these really good things. No. The scripture says God loves you as his children. He has received you as his children. You have been brought into his household. He counts you as sons and daughters. He says we become like this as we give ourselves, submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, and as we seek to understand Christ better. And so be careful not to say, I have to do all of this stuff so that God will like me. No, now you get to work with the Spirit to be transformed, to be made like Christ. 
that's, that's what the efforts are. With the power of the Holy Spirit, yes, there is something for you to do. Maybe it's memorized scripture. Maybe it is reflecting on scripture, writing some meanings out so that it makes sense to you what God is saying. But still, it's God working in you so that you may work out these things. Remember that, please. It is living by his grace, the grace that enables you to break old habits, the grace that enables you to subdue old desires, the grace that enables you to live differently. You have to ask the Lord regularly for this, constantly, maybe more than three or four times a day in some cases. We we fall into a trap of practical atheism. We think because we have a piece of head knowledge, that's enough. We think that because we have... We go to the right church, or we kind of do the right nice things, that that's enough. And the Lord is in the business of transforming us. We need to submit ourselves to him and ask for his grace to work in us and then to apply what it is he's taught us. And so we're going to begin by looking at this passage. I'm going to back up in verse 30 and and read here. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It seems like an odd way to start out. It almost There are commentators who aren't sure whether that belongs to the previous verse about let no corrupting talk come out, or if it applies to the next verses. And I'm not sure that that's necessarily... I don't think that that requires us to divide this verse off. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Every one of us knows what it is to be grieved by somebody. That is... Parents know what it is to be grieved by their kids who do things that just are so out of stride with what we think our family should be. Uh, Teenagers are very frequently grieved by their parents, by, I don't know, the parents not being teenagers, I think. But, uh, but there's this, this sense that my, I just wish my parents were a little bit different. And it, it grieves them. It makes them sad or sorrowful. Husbands grieve wives. Wives grieve husbands because there is a misunderstanding about who they are. We know what it is to grieve somebody. So what does this mean as it's applied to the Holy Spirit? Well, first of all, let's be assured of this. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's the third person of the Trinity. He dwells in you. You are the temple of the living God. The Spirit of God dwells in you. And he's a person. And imagine going to somebody and saying, Hi, it's good to see you. I really, I really want to spend a little bit of time with you. And that person looks at you and turns sideways and walks a different direction. That would be grievous. But how many of us treat the Holy Spirit that way? He brings something to mind. He shows us what something says in the scriptures. We turn ourselves sideways as if to say, this voice counts for nothing. And we just go our own direction. That grieves the Holy Spirit. That grieves the third person of the Trinity dwelling in you. We're called not to do that. What the scriptures tell us is that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption. 
The spirit of adoption. You have been adopted into God's household. You have been adopted into God's family. And therefore, not only are you called children of God, John tells us that, uh, beloved, we are God's children now, but it doesn't appear yet what we shall be. Not only are you called children of God, you are called to act like children of God. And that's what this is about. We need to submit to the sanctifying leadership of the Holy Spirit. We are to submit to the sanctifying leadership of the Holy Spirit who leads us to make us more like Christ. So, what is it that grieves the Holy Spirit? Well, corrupt speech, uh, being stingy, um, just dealing with falsehoods as though they're not false but we see here holding on to resentment and bitterness in such a way that you don't forgive others. That's what it says in this passage. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. There are many major offenses and minor offenses in life that hurt us for various reasons. They hurt us. They trouble us. And of all the places where we need God's supply of grace, it's in the matter of forgiveness toward one another. The matter of forgiveness, whether it be toward one another in the church or just one another as neighbors in a community. In Matthew chapter 18, Peter comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and he says, Lord, how how many times do do I have to forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus says, seven times? I tell you, you must forgive him 77 times. Well, if you're like me, there are times when I look at that person who's offended me and I think, seven times is too many. And I'm not even sure I want to do that. But you see, it is in forgiveness that we have the proving ground of the Christian life. It's in forgiveness that we have the proving ground of Christian love. Now, that term proving ground, my father was an engineer for International Harvester, and he was responsible for the development of tractors used in mining operations. And what he would do regularly is come to a gravel pit in Streeter, uh, not so far from here, and he would take these mining tractors and he would put them through their paces. They would work those tractors hard in order to find out, do they, is their design proven faithful? Are they proven faithful in how they are supposed to be used and how they will be used in these gravel pits or in these mining efforts. The same kind of a thing exists in the military, after, especially special forces. If you've been trained uh, for a period of time, you've been taught survival skills, you've been taught other kinds of defensive skills, what they would do is they would give you a knife, one meal, drop you off in the wilderness, and tell you, we'll come get you in a week. And that was the proving ground of how well you had learned what you were supposed to learn. 
forgiveness is the proving ground of Christian love. It's the proving ground of Christian life. It's the place where Christian love is really put to the test. Now I say this because when you, when you live in a community of people who, the, who are sinners and who are not yet fully, purely sanctified, we are going to bump into one another, we're going to step on one another's feet, we're going to say the wrong kinds of things, we are going to bruise one another. We do and say things that offend our brothers and sisters. We do it through carelessness. We do it with presumption. And sometimes we do it with willfulness. But it still takes place. And it'd be really easy to withdraw, to pull back and say, I want nothing to do with these people. I want nothing to do with that guy or this girl. And so your reaction can sometimes be you can retain hurt and anger so that you say, I I don't want any part of it. Or you can live, you can forgive and live at liberty. Here's the danger of bitterness. Retaining hurt and anger. The one who is offended can become bitter. They can slide into bitterness. Bitterness in the scripture refers to that which has become sour. Verse 31, let all bitterness be put away from you. That's part of the old nature. That's part of the unsaved nature that says, I'm going to retain this bitterness because I deserve to have that high position. We'll look at that in a second. But we know what bitterness is like. Leave milk sit out on the counter for a week. And you'll, you'll get a sense of bitterness. It stinks. It tastes sour. It turns our stomach sour if we drink it. To be bitter in the scripture means to have a sour spirit. And a sour spirit cannot produce joy. What's the fruit of the spirit? Love. Joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know, you cannot produce joy if you've got a bitter spirit. It's not possible. The bitterness of the best indica- bitterness is the best indicator that a heart is not right with God. Bitterness leads to wrath, anger, clamor, slander. Ultimately, it can produce malice. A wickedness that is not ashamed to break the law. And what happens is that it boils on inside of us to the point where it builds up pressure and it bursts out. Bitterness bitterness in a situation where you've been offended is like drinking poison with the hope that as you drink it, you'll be killing the other person. That's nonsense. But what happens is it builds up inside of us and it boils up a man who becomes so bitter at work that when he comes home in the evening, he boils over with wrath toward his wife and his children. A son who is so exasperated by his father that his wrath boils over onto his siblings or his friends. 
The bitterness of heart results in this tumultuous upwelling of the whole spirit. It's a bucket of battery acid that's just looking for an opportunity to splash out on whoever is coming to you. Proverbs tells us, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. For better or for worse, from your heart flow the springs of life. Anger not dealt with is always saved up for future use. Let me give you an example. This is not, this is not hyperbole. I know of a couple that was married for 40 years, and they had offended one another, but had never really forgiven one another. They got to the point where they couldn't even sleep in the same room. Then, they couldn't even sleep in the same house. And it got so bad that they each bought a house, one right next to the other. They would spend a few hours of the day together because they were married, but then they would go to their own home at night and be left alone. What, what kind of a life is that? And yet, without building the house, we do the same kind of a thing when we leave something unforgiven and unresolved. And that's really what the Lord is getting at. This grieves the Holy Spirit. We, as people of God, have seen great reconciliation between God and ourselves. God took the step, the first step, in reconciling us. Now, this is not merely a call to let bygones be bygones. That doesn't work. It's not a call to bury the hatchet, as they say, I think, in this part of the world. Because as Mark Twain says, nobody ever forgets where they bury the hatchet. Do they? We either have to deal with it or it will chew on us. It will drive deep into our heart. And this is where we have to turn to the Lord for a present grace in order to enable us to forgive others, even to go and ask forgiveness. Jesus makes that very clear. Now, this can cause an alienation and a fear in those who have been the offender. I mean, look at this passage that we read from Genesis chapter 50. Joseph's brothers had sold him into slavery because they were jealous of him, with the result that God was pleased to use Joseph in the land of Egypt. But then when Joseph's brothers came during a famine to seek help, they didn't realize that they were talking to the second in command, who was their very brother. And when they found out, they were fearful of their lives. He's going to take vengeance out on us now. He's going to destroy us because we offended him so badly. There would have been how many decades of bitterness that built up in him that would lash out and seek to destroy his own brothers. But listen to Joseph's response. Am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. I mean, they're... Their evil against Joseph was intentional. 
It wasn't a dumb mistake. They were jealous. It was intentional. But look at what Joseph does with it. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. How many of us in our hearts have just cursed Christ? We've been so angry about something that has not gone our way that we basically said, this is your fault. I don't want anything to do with you. And basically, we have added our voice to those who cried out in Jerusalem, crucify him. Crucify him. And Jesus, even as he hangs on the cross, says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. What was meant for evil against our Lord Jesus Christ, God meant for good, for our redemption, for our salvation. And that's how we need to look even at those small offenses that are delivered against us for whatever reason, mistakes, bad habit, wrong assumptions, whatever the case may be. Which is why we are then called to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Tender-heartedness is most beautifully expressed in our Lord Jesus Christ when he was moved with compassion at, what the, at the people and their need. When somebody offends us, our heart needs to go out to them. It needs to go out to them as someone who, who understands the grace of God, who's tasted of the grace of God, and who needs to extend that grace to others. Now, this is counterintuitive. You operate the way that the world operates, and you won't do this. But you operate the way that Christ operates, and you'll be moved to do this because forgiveness is the proving ground of Christian love. So, if you've offended somebody, I've gone through this before, I know, but if you've offended somebody and you come to realize it, you need to go to that person. And you need to say to them, I'm sorry, I did this or said that. I was wrong. Please forgive me. That acknowledges the offense. I mean, we even need to do that before the Lord, don't we? Have you done that any time recently with the Lord? Lord, I'm sorry. I sinned against you by doing this. Committing lust, looking at the wrong kind of pictures... Um, being jealous, being envious. Have you gone that before the Lord and just named it? Lord, I'm guilty. I sinned against you this way. Please forgive me. And the Lord removes the guilt of our sin from us. When someone comes to you and they say, would you please forgive me? Your response is not, yeah, you know what, it's okay, don't worry about it. It's not, oh, it's, you know, it's not a big deal. 
No, that's not your response. Your response must be, yes, I forgive you. It will not stand between us. I will never remember it. Because you know, as far as the east is from the west, God removes your sins from himself. How far is the east from the west? How far can I travel east and then I suddenly start going west? Never, right? That's how far God removes your sins from him so that he doesn't even see them anymore. I know of a situation where somebody had repented of a sin against uh, this couple and they went to this couple and said, I'm sorry, I've done this sin. Please forgive me for doing this. And the response was, oh, I'll forgive you, but I will never forget. Is that forgiveness? Not at all. If God forgave us this way, we would be miserable our whole life. Jesus' blood removes the sin completely. It doesn't mean we don't struggle with sin in our members, but the guilt of this sin is removed completely. That's why I say to you, look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to him only. There's nothing that can remove your sins from you, but Christ and his blood, and it's removed completely from you. And so when somebody comes and says, I'm sorry, I sinned against you, your response is, I forgive you, It does not stand between us. It's removed completely. I will not ever remember this again. Never again. Be at peace. That's a real exchange. That's a real exchange. That's exactly what happened through the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ took our sins. We confess our sins. We acknowledge them for what they are. God says, yes, I know. I remove it. And we're free. And we make that kind of a real exchange between one another. That keeps families together. That keeps marriages together. That keeps churches together. It can keep whole communities together. Even it can restore a relationship between a believer and a non-believer because the non-believer experiences for the first time what it really means to be forgiven. And so it's covered. What if I confess and I don't get forgiveness from the other person, someone could ask? Well, once you actually genuinely confess it, your obligation is finished. It's really in their court and it's on their heart. Because God needs to deal with them on the matter of forgiveness. Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. The first thing we need to remember here is that if you are in the Lord Jesus Christ, when were you forgiven? Was it the day that you first believed Jesus? Was it the day that you first heard about Jesus? No. You were forgiven 
on the day that Jesus hung on the cross and cried out, it is finished. Because on that day, he also hung from the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's the power of how God forgave us. He forgave us long before we came and asked. And that's how we must be. We must have a heart filled with forgiveness so that long before the person comes and asks, that's done. They can, they can have a clear avenue to us and they can receive that forgiveness when the time comes. That's what the whole point of the parable in Matthew 18 is when Peter asks, how many times shall I forgive my brother, Lord? Jesus tells a parable. There was this man who owned like a, a million, two million, three million, four million dollars to his, to his former uh, boss. And he was forgiven. And yet this man in the parable, somebody owed him a hundred bucks and he threw that person in jail until the money, was, the money was paid back. And Jesus said, so will my heavenly Father do to you if you do not forgive. We are to forgive as, Christ, as God forgave us in Christ. We were forgiven fully, freely. You have been forgiven fully and freely. Thus, the call to you is go and forgive others likewise. We can forgive our debtors as we have been forgiven our debts. So, beloved, in conclusion, let's remember, we belong to God's family. We are God's children. The Holy Spirit cries out in us with the spirit of adoption, Abba, Father. We must be ready and willing to forgive fully and freely. We must forgive and forget completely the offense. In this, we discover a very present grace that restores our relationships and our hope in marriage, in family, in the church. This is the proving ground of Christian love. Let us live by this present grace and display before a watching world that does not know what forgiveness is, what the love of Jesus Christ truly is toward us all. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we acknowledge that unless you work in us, we won't do this. We really like having the upper hand. We really like feeling self-justified. We really like thinking ourselves better than the other person. Have mercy on us, Lord. Father, we confess to you that sin and ask that you would remove it from us and that we would live like your sons and daughters in a household of liberty and grace. Set us free from our own small thinking in our minds, trapped trapped by our egos, And Lord, set us free that we might experience and extend the wide grace of Jesus Christ. Grant us hearts of forgiveness. Restore us, Lord, to yourself and to each other. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.